shortly now. Heavenly Father, as we turn our eyes to your written word, we pray that we would encounter the living word, Jesus Christ. Come and pour out your Holy Spirit and help us to hear what you would have us hear and help us to meet with you again afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're a church blessed with kids, aren't we? Really, it's so lovely. I know it's a bit chaotic and it can feel a bit wool, but it's so lovely seeing them all playing and running about. And I don't know if you heard Malachi singing in the first song. You wondered what that was. I literally, my face went, what is that? Horror. And then I saw, and I looked, and it was Malachi. I was thinking, Leilani's voice is terrible this morning. What's happened? I'm like, what's happened, Leilani? But actually, he was stood there, and he was singing it proper. He knew the words. What a beautiful name it is. And he was singing his little heart out. I was like, gosh, immediately felt God say, come on. You know, suffer the little children to come unto me. Disciples say, no, back you go. Jesus goes, no, here they come. Just lovely. Thank you, Malachi, for that. Um, and the extras in between, the yep, yep, yep. We like those. <laughs> I asked Wayne just to keep those bits down. But when he was singing, we liked that bit. <laughs> There's a limit to my yes. <laughs> That's great. What a star. But one of the best things about being a dad is getting to see the world through kids' eyes, is getting to see things and remember things about how exciting and different things were. When all of us were there, were this high and that big. One of my favourite things, little Harry, it's a little two-year-old, you see blonde two-year-old running around, my youngest, <coughs> is he loves looking out of his bedroom window. He's got a bedroom window right next to his bed, so he looks out this little window, tappity-tapping and seeing what he can see and looking at the, the busy road that goes past. And sometimes I join him. I love doing this. And we watch and wait for buses. That's what we do. And we stick our heads there, and he just goes, and he looks at me with such a time and goes, come in. And I'm like, it's coming. He's like, come in. And I'm like, wait. And, yeah, no, that was a car. She's come in. Yeah, that was a bike. Right, and then it's a bush, 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 and a bush goes past. B u s h e, a bush goes past, and it's so exciting. And then it's gone. And then he looks. He goes, no one, no one coming. And he looks and he waits. The anticipation, the excitement, so lovely. I remember being just like that. I remember that. It's one got to be such an early memory for me. Watkins toys up. Eastreach, some of you may know it, had a little train that ran round the window and went in a little tunnel and popped out. Smokey Joe, he was called. And I remember pressing up against the glass, coming. Hey, there he goes. It's coming. Hey, there he goes. It's coming. Hey, there he goes. So good. So good. Well, now we go to watch real trains. If there isn't something, if there's something better than a model train popping out of a tunnel, it's a real train. So we take Harry sometimes, not enough, but we love to take the kids to Bishop's Lydian and go and see the steam trains. There's nothing more exciting than waiting on the platform for one of those big smoky steam trains to turn up. Um, but I call my dad ahead to find out when 
the train is coming. Because there's a little known secret, but Bishop's Lydiard on certain days is staffed by Baptists. <laughs> True. By retired Baptists. Not retired from the Baptist faith. Oh, no, no, no. No. Christian faith Baptists ignore me. Um, but retired from whatever work it was. And now they man this station, or at least there's two, three of them there. Um, and they love it. And, uh, and my dad's one of the guys that worked down there. We may even have somebody here. Um, but I won't mention Peter Morgan's name. But we do have people here that... Um, it's amazing. And they basically get to hang out together and, and basically look after the station and welcome in the trains. So I ring up Dad and I say, when's one coming in? And he tells us, and we aim to get there just before the train turns up on the, um, on the station. You see, for my dad, there's no surprises as to when the train's coming. He knows. He's got a timetable. Not like Harry. Harry would just turn up and he would just wait. For hours. He'd be like, it's coming. It's coming. He wouldn't have a clue when it's coming. They don't do that. They're not these retired men just waiting. Coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Another one. Coming. They're not doing that. They know it's going to be an hour or so. So they go and have a Cornish pasty and a cup of tea and they sit down and wait, as you would. Um, but then, with 15 minutes to go, they, they know it's really coming now. And they get ready and they have to make sure it's quite a serious job. They, it's a huge sort of you know, health and safety stuff. Make sure the platform's ready. Make sure the barrier's um, down so people can't cross. Make sure the customers are safe and ready. That everything's ready for this massive big train to turn up. They are alert. They are ready. They are watching. They are expectant of an imminent arrival. Can we bring up <coughs> my slide? Jesus says in this parable that as his followers, you and I are to be people who are ready and watchful for an imminent arrival. He's been speaking to a huge crowd for some time before he he drops this particular parable in and he's been telling them they need to be a trusting people. Trusting Heavenly Father knowing his love for them. But then he communicates something new. He says that you need to be an expectant people, alert people, a watching people, ready at all times for when he comes and knocks. For when the master comes knocking at the door. Be dressed, ready for service, he says, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Jesus is saying that you and I are to be like this, like these watchful servants waiting for their master's return from a wedding feast. And the thing was, a wedding feast was a sort of flexible affair back then. It could be anywhere up to a week. They would not know when... He was coming. He could come in the middle of the night. He could come in the morning. It could be today or tomorrow or in three days' (coughs) time. There was no timetable, no schedule. But the one thing the servants did know, the one thing they knew knew, was that he was coming to knock on the door, just as he always did. And Jesus says to us, to the disciples gathered there, and to us as his followers, that our relationship with God 
needs to have this element of expectancy. We are to be an expectant people, expecting him in all sorts of ways, to be at work, expecting him to be coming close, expecting him to be knocking on the door. Why? Because that's what God does. God is not a distant God. God is not the God who wound up the earth and set it in motion and left it to run whilst he stays far away. He's the God who comes knocking. He's the God who loves to draw near, as we've been thinking about this morning, and hopefully more than just thinking, realising and being in his presence. From the beginning, think about it, he would come walking with Adam, And then over and over again through the tabernacle and the temple and the miracles and the power that he displayed, he would come knocking on the door of his people. Come to be with them. Come to be close. Come to get their attention. And most significantly of all, he drew near in Jesus. He drew near in Jesus. Came knocking on the door of humankind to be with us. But so many of us missed him. So many of us weren't ready. So many of us despised him. Didn't let him in. So many of us were more concerned about our own special statuses and preserving our riches and power. Too tangled up in sin and pride to serve him or follow him or welcome him in. And there will be a day, Jesus says, where he will come knocking one last time at the end of the age. And he will come again in power. And this time nobody's going to miss it. It's going to be obvious. Everyone will hear his knock. But will the world be ready, Jesus asked? Will he find faith? Will you and I be ready? Now, it would be quite legitimate and probably normal to unpack this parable in the light of the second coming. But we've thought about that in some of the other parables and there are others which are very explicit about this and this one certainly is talking about this. But I think to do only that is to miss that this parable also teaches us to be expectant, not just for the final knock, but to be a people expectant of when God's going to knock on the door of our lives daily. To be a people watchful and ready You see, if we think only about the the final return, that, that, that second coming of Jesus, it can feel like Jesus was here then, and he's coming back then, and we're in a period of absence. It can feel a little bit like, well, when the teacher leaves the room. Do you remember at secondary school? So you all sat very nicely and you're working. And then the teacher has to run an errand, do some photocopying. And now we're throwing paper aeroplanes, aren't we? Until we hear the footsteps. Very good. You know, it can feel a little bit like we're in a season of absence. But Jesus made it really, really clear. This is not a season of absence you and I are in. It may be a time when the master is physically away. But he's promised that this is a time where he is very present with us. I'm with you always, Jesus said to us. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. You will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is not the absent God. For the believer, he is, yes, always present, just as my little Amelie loves to remind me. Daddy, you know, when you're on your own, you don't have to be worried because Jesus is there with you and he will look after you. She's right, isn't she? You're never on your own, Daddy. You're right, Amelie. But boy, do I forget that sometimes, how easy it is to forget. But whilst he's always with us, I also want to suggest that there are times when he makes himself known in a particular and special way. Times when he wants to get our attention. Times when his spirit ministers in a significant way. When we enjoy his presence and realise this isn't just a head thing, but our hearts and our spirits are touched by him drawing near, that he is up to something. When we gather together, sometimes on our own, we get that sense that God has come knocking to get our attention, to say, I'm here. Calling us to notice him, to receive from him, or to step out in service for him, to challenge us. But these times can be really easily missed too. These knocks on the door. Unless we're alert and we're watching, and we're ready. I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. But are you and I like those servants, ready to notice and to open the door immediately? Oh, look, there was a little picture looking out the window. That's not Harry, but isn't it sweet? Are we waiting? Are we expectant? Are we ready and watchful? Jesus says you should be like those servants. Be like them. Be dressed and ready for service just as they are. The Greek here literally says, let your loins stay girded. Great, that, isn't it? Now, do you want me to show you a demonstration of what a girded loin looks like? (laughs) Because I'm not going to do that. Um, (laughs) Why did that pop into my head? Oh, But what it really meant, it was basically the robes in the East at that time were beautiful and long for men, for women, um, but they got in the way when it came to work. If you were to run, you had to hitch up the robes, like Elijah did when he outrun Ahab's chariot. He girded his loins, it says. And to gird something is to encircle, and the loins being around here, it's an encircling around the waist. So it's either a belt they're talking about, pulling up the tunic and belting it around so that it can't get in the way, so you don't trip over it. Or a special way of sort of tying it up and tying it round and girding yourself with the robe itself so that you're ready. Ready for action. You see, what we wear says quite a lot about our attitude or readiness for any given job. If you hire in a painter and decorator and they turn up in a tuxedo, I'd suggest that they've probably not got the best attitude and they're probably not ready for the job. Are you joking me, mate? I'm not getting this splashed with paint. No chance. So Jesus is saying, be dressed for service. Have your attitude ready when I call. Ready to serve me and to respond. But also be prepared. 
deal with those things and it's the privilege but also it's the cost and the journey and the maturing of discipleship that we deal with those things that we realise, and Ali touched on this actually in her prayer, trip us up and get in the way of the things God wants for us. That together and with God's help, you and I are called to deal with that sin which so easily ensnares, as it says in Hebrews. Chuck it off, as it says in Hebrews. Or gird it up, tie it up, deal with it, get it out of the way, so that you're ready in attitude and in heart and in spirit to serve Jesus. And keep your lamps burning, he says. Keep them lit and ready. The light of expectation, of faith glowing strong. We could all sing a little rendition of give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, couldn't we? Do you remember that one? It's an amazing symbol, actually, of our faith and of our awakeness, of our alertness, of our willingness, of our watchfulness. And you know, this also takes diligence and time and care to keep glowing. It's not like today when we just switch on an electric light and then we leave it and we forget about it. These lamps took effort. The wicks needed trimming. The oil needed topping up. And fire, well, fire took time to to get going, to spark, to light. And so too our faith needs nurturing and feeding and taking care of. We can't think, well, I switched that light off when I became a, switched that light on when I became a Christian 15 years ago. And that's it now. I'm done. Light's on. No, it needs tending to. A living thing. A living relationship with God. An expectation of faith, a hunger. A light that needs feeding and caring for and looking after. And we do that together. It's what being a church family is encouraging one another in that spurring one another on. We read God's word together. We pray. We worship. We spend time in his presence. For we never know when God will knock and say, here I am. I want to speak with you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. I want you to receive from me something you need this morning. I'm knocking at the door. Are we ready to open the door. Because at that point we can't say, where's the lamp? Gosh, is it lit? Give me some matches. No, you can't have them for another 1800 years. 1806. They had to wait a long time for a flick of a match to light those lamps. These things took time. You needed to be ready. I want you to picture just in your minds for a moment that master coming home. Some of you will find this easier than others. Don't worry if it doesn't work for you picturing something. But coming home, probably in a cart, pulled by a horse, coming through the countryside, perhaps at night or in the evening, getting dark. As he rides along, he starts to wonder whether his servants will be waiting for him. If they will be there at the door or whether the house will be cold and shut up and they will all be asleep. But then when he finally gets there, when he pulls up and sees the house, he sees a lamp glowing in the window. They're awake. And just as soon as he gets to the door and barely knocks on it, it swings open and his servants are there glad to see him, welcoming him, ready and dressed for service. Master, welcome home. 
How may we serve you? Gosh. I wonder, are you and I ready and watchful for God in our lives right now? Are we dressed for service? Is our lamp of faith and expectation glowing? I wonder, as a church, are we ready for the more that God has for us? Prepared, watchful for what God wants to do amongst us and through us. It's just been lovely. I've been on a journey with you guys. It's been lovely to see how we've been growing in being more attentive and aware of the Lord's presence. And we've been learning together and sharing more in that. But there will still be more. Are we ready for when he knocks to say, Master, come in. Come in. It's wonderful to see you. Jesus now describes what it's like. What happens when that master comes home to this wonderful sight and this wonderful welcome. And in Greek, he uses a beatitude formula. You know, the blessed are they that, or blessed are those who, and this is a beatitude. And it literally says, blessed are those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Now, you might have imagined it to say, if we just pictured that, blessed is the master who comes home to servants like this, surely. But he turns it on its head. He says, no, the blessing is for the servants. Blessed are they. And in a hugely unexpected turning upside down of the social norms, he says, this is why. Truly, I tell you, the master will dress himself to serve and he will have them recline at the table and he will come and he will wait on them. It's the most wonderful thing for the servants when the master comes and they're once again in his presence. And we're not to miss what Jesus is saying here because we cannot assume that masters were regarded as a wonderful thing. Many a master was cruel. Many a master was harsh. Many will have treated their servants through a system of fear and the whip, withholding of wages, whatever it might be. And many of them would have been waiting because they would have been terrified in his presence, lest they do something wrong. They would have loved it when he was away. Indeed, the presence of God was feared by his people for many, many years. In the Old Testament, we see Let him not come near us, lest we die, the people say. That was their understanding of God at that point. They had a huge sense of awe in the Master's presence. And indeed, we could do well to remember that when the first people encountered God's presence at Sinai, that mountain, in Exodus 19, there was thunder and lightning, a cloud covered the mountain, a very loud horn sounded, all the people among the tents shook, with fear. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a stove and the whole mountain shook. The sound of the horn became louder and louder and Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. You see, our God's unmatched in his glory, in his power and in his wonder and when he just shows us a tiny bit of that, we tremble. He's not to be underestimated or taken lightly. We are fools when we do that. Jesus taught us that we should have reverent fear 
for God. That when he comes close, we should be in awe and realize we're in the presence of the Holy One of the universe. In his presence, we realize how tiny and small we are. And yet, Jesus also taught us that this God, who is all of those things, is a God who cares and who loves us. And he knows every hair on our head. A God who is love itself. Who is tender and kind and faithful as Ali read in the scripture. And he knows every hair on our head, every name we are given, every part we've been through in life. And we can call him Abba, Daddy, Father. And he calls us child, beloved masterpiece it's extraordinary that in this parable the servants realise in his presence just how loved they are by their master for instead of serving him willingly and I think in this parable the suggestion is they would have no he comes and serves them as the master comes through the door he doesn't demand his slippers and click his fingers and recline at the table he puts down his bag tired from the journey maybe, but he picks up an apron or the equivalent and lights the oven or the equivalent. And it's the same with our God. He is wholly other, wholly powerful, immense and glorious in every way, worthy of all our honour and respect and service, yet he's the one who says, come into my presence and I will serve you. Come and rest. Come and eat. You see, he genuinely loves us. I'm not ashamed to say that. It's the most incredible truth. He genuinely loves me. And he genuinely loves you. I had a moment this week when I just thought of those words when Jesus said, I will come to you. It's very easy to hear those words as if Jesus is saying, right, look at that ragtag bunch of disciples. Um, I'm going, but I'll I'll come back. You're going to need me because... You're dreadful on your own kind of thing. And there's part of that that's true. He comes to us to help us. Um, You don't think we're dreadful, but there's part of it that says, you know, you're going to need my help here. But it caught me that maybe, just maybe, there's a part of it where Jesus says, I'll come to you because I love being with you as well. I've been with you on this journey and I want to come back and I'll be with you and we'll still have that relationship. Maybe, just maybe, he loves to be with us as much as we love to be with him. That really humbled me and struck me this week. When he walked this earth, and our time's nearly up on this, he did just that, didn't he? Humbled himself. And in that last supper he had with his disciples, those fishermen, who'd want to hang out with them? He did. (laughs) Who'd want to serve them? Jesus did. He literally took or rather girded his loins, tied it round, tied his, ro- his robe round his waist, a towel wound his waist, and then he poured the water into the basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And in his presence they were humbled that this king of majesty would do that. And Peter says, Lord, you'd wash my feet? He says, yeah, yeah I would. Isn't it humbling? Isn't our God just amazing? And so it is when he draws near us today. In his presence, we are 
in awe of his glory and majesty, but we are humbled by his love and his heart for us and for this world and the way he serves even you and even me. Friends, we are changed in the presence of Jesus. We are changed in his presence. Our heads are brought higher by his love, but our swagger about who I am and the big person that I am is brought lower. Our heads are brought higher, our swagger is brought lower, and we are changed in his presence. Because once you've been in the presence of Jesus and you've been mindful and you've been listening, you've been attentive, your heart's been open, and you've really met with him, you've had a touch from the king, then you don't come out of that going, I'm the big cheese round here. I'm the one who's going to have it my way. Watch me. You come out just going, he's amazing. He's the one. He's the one we look to. He's the one I'm going to serve. And we get filled with his power so that what? We can big ourselves up? No, so that we can serve the least and the last and the lost and be a part of his kingdom, breaking in, kingdom of justice, righteousness, goodness, and love. The world needs people changed by the presence of Jesus. It is crying out for people. Not people that just sing songs or go to church because it's easy to do those things with a hard heart and not be changed. Go to church in the morning, be atrocious in the afternoon. Needs people that have met with Jesus, humbled in his presence, in awe of his glory. And so I finish with one last word and it's really the last bit that Jesus talks about here. Our expectation. Our expectation that he is the Lord who wants to come and knock. Because Jesus, in this last bit, says it would be good for those servants who find their master ready even when he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. See, God's coming near is not limited to our timetable. We don't control him. We don't push a button and he does what we say. He's sovereign. And his timing is perfect. He loves to draw near when we read his word, when we gather together around communion in worship like this morning. But we mustn't give up our expectation that he's also going to draw near at other times in our lives. At work, when we're on holiday, at home, in the tough times, in the giving up times, in the hopeless seasons, the hard seasons, the confusing seasons. Are we expectant that he's the God that's going to draw near? Because he wants to. And he will. Are we listening? Are we expecting? Are we ready to fling open those doors? And in a final twist, Jesus changes the analogy and he likens himself to the timing or the unpredictability of a thief in the night. And certainly here he's talking about that final lock, knock of the second coming. And he says, it's going to be when you least expect it. So be expectant always for me. Be expectant always with your lamps glowing of faith and expectation, your loins girded, dressed, ready for service. Expectant that he's the God who wants to draw near. I wonder how expectant are you at the moment? How expectant are you? How's your lamp doing? If it's smouldering, come back into his presence and let it be rekindled this morning. Let's listen for his voice now.
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with 